0: Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire.
1: I remember the day I received the warrant. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely could not believe it. Yet in spite of my disbelief, the warrant was served, and the bailiff of God had delivered a writ which stated, God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Apparently, my life was on trial. Now I was being subpoenaed to appear in the court of heaven to show just cause why I shouldn't be judged, sentenced, and condemned to an eternal death. And that's serious. I was specifically being charged with treason against the law of God, with crucifying afresh the Son of God, with putting Him to an open shame, and with rejecting love and mercy. I repeat again, I could not believe it. I began to insist on my defense, and I said, "There's clearly been a mistake here. Someone else's record has been placed underneath my name, and uh, I, I know I know how I've tried to live. I know what kind of man I am. I'm a good person. I haven't I haven't robbed any banks. I, I, I I've never murdered anyone. I uh, I try to pay my bills. I attend church. I I can get character references if I need to. I I I, and in spite of My insistence, I was hustled along to a courtroom, and I can't tell you exactly where it was, but I realized immediately that I was standing in a very imposing chamber. And I'd been in courtrooms before, you know, to contest a traffic ticket or the adoption of our children. I'd seen the courtrooms on TV, and I'd seen courtrooms in the movies, but I'm telling you that nothing compared to this place. In front of me stood a spectacular ivory judge's bench. And behind that was a perfectly white wall, so white, in fact, that it looked both transparent and opaque at the same time. And it stretched up into what seemed forever. And high on the wall were words emblazoned in flame that said, only the truth shall be spoken here and all of the truth shall be spoken here. This courtroom was different. I'd never seen another place like this. And holy, I guess, as best I understand that to mean. The jury had already been impaneled, and I looked at them, and I saw no prejudice in them, and I also didn't really see any leniency. Some of them were just really obvious. Just by their presence, I knew who they were. In shining white and beautiful demeanor sat holiness, and this divine being himself incapable of sin was to sit and listen to a sinner plead his case. In darker yet equally beautiful robes sat justice, neither stern nor tolerant. He would demand satisfaction on the basis of the merits of the defendant, being unmoved by emotion, pity, or irrelevant testimony." And in the garments of a scholar sat wisdom whose eyes were ablaze as one who knew all and could see all. And sitting behind him were omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. And lightning flashed between them, and their eyes looked like burning coals. With equal dignity of time and majesty were other marvelously beautiful yet terrifying beings who would all ensure that all ungodliness and unrighteousness be revealed. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, a guy will get a fair trial here. Which brings peace to the innocent. But I was terrified in my soul. Then the court clerk announced, his honor to the judge, and immediately every being in the room, including the cherubim and the seraphim, ranking row on row, stood to their feet and began singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I thought to myself how wonderful it would be to join in singing with them. But I just felt that it would be inappropriate or somehow wrong because I hadn't come under my own volition I was there under warrant and in spite of those thoughts from inside my deepest being my voice welled up like never before to sing the most beautiful chorus joining the angels and I thought I remembered a scripture that I'd heard and thought how easily it would be one day that, that, that that would come true it would be fulfilled that every knee would bow and every tongue would praise him Upon being seated, the judge called my name for the first time, James Michael Routledge. And I remember fear swept from the tip of my head to the soles of my feet like ice cubes poured down the back of my shirt. This was really happening. I was on trial, and I bowed my head to try stilling my nerves to no avail. And the judge continued You've been summoned to the courtroom today to show just cause as to why you should not be judged, sentenced, and condemned to an eternal death because of your transgression of the law of God. And I heard a rustle to my right, and I turned and looked to see the prosecutor standing, and I I heard him say, Your Honor, if it please the court today, it will be the purpose of the prosecution to show that the accused, James Michael Rutledge, has violated at least one point of the law, and as a result, is guilty of violating the entire law. And if it could please the court, we will be insisting on the eternal death penalty. The judge looked at me, not unkindly, and said, Mr. Rutledge, you you recognize that you have the right to defense. Uh, Who who will represent you? I jumped to my own defense and said, Your Honor, I'll defend myself. I don't know what this court believes about me, but I know how I've tried to live. I've I've lived honorably. I will defend myself. Very well, said the judge, but the law is not so simple as some would believe, and since you'll be tried by the law. And I interrupted and began my defense, trying to strike the first blow. Your honor, I said, I thought I should be tried by grace rather than law. You know, we're under grace, not under law. I was quite certain I'd be tried by grace. Just a minute, Mr. Rutledge, let it be clear that a man may be saved by grace, but he can never be tried by grace. A man can only be tried by the law. Mr. Rutledge, have you been saved by grace? I cleared my throat, <clears> throat> trying to buy some time, and I-, I knew the answer. My hands were beginning to shake and involuntarily and trying to put them behind my back to hide my nerves. And it- didn't fool anyone, no no, no sir, I, uh, I, I haven't. Of course I hadn't been saved by grace. If I had been saved by grace, I wouldn't have been in the court that day. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, you know, uh, well, I'd heard someone say that before, we're under law, under grace. But the truth of the matter is, this is just something I'd heard from Sunday school. And I'd mocked, actually, the memorization of the Ten Commandments is a waste of time, and I remember thinking to myself, of all the people I know that claim to live by the Ten Commandments, none of them can recite it. So the judge said, Mr. Rutledge, let the court be very clear today that with God there is no respecter of persons. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Mr. Rutledge, you do understand the law, don't you? Uh, I said with a nervous chuckle, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yes, Your Honor, I, I, uh, I, do, I do. I've been raised in a Christian culture and have attended Christian churches. Oh, very well, said the judge. Mr. Prosecutor, you may proceed. And the prosecutor said, call for the first witness. And the first witness was sworn in and named himself as, you shall have no other gods before me. I was ready to defend myself, and I blurted out, Your Honor, I've never worshipped any other... And I was cut off in the middle of my sentence by a voice of truth that echoed from somewhere in the chamber, but I had no idea where. And the voice said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. The eyes of omniscience were staring at me. Holiness challenged me, Mr. Rutledge, you loved God supremely? Omnipresence said to me, Son, be very careful. I know I was with you. I bowed my head. I mumbled, Well, uh, well te- technically, you know, maybe I uh, haven't loved him you know, supremely. And then I thought about self and money and ambition in all of the things that I'd chosen over God. And I sat in silence as the judge pounded the ivory bench with his gavel. and He declared, guilty. Yeah, I was guilty. The second witness was sworn in and introduced himself as, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship or serve them. I bounced on my feet and quickly rallying to my own defense and I said, I'm clean on this one. Maybe on the first one, I may not have been completely clean on that one, but this one I'm good. I am not an idolater. I don't have any idols in my house that I uh, bow down to or, or worship or bring incense or money to, none of that. I, I'm, not, I'm not an idolater. The prosecutor quickly said, Mr. Relish, what about the yellow convertible you obsessed over? <laughs> or, or that house you had to have no matter what it cost you. And I said, "Oh, hold on, let the records cl- just be clear. I did not ever own a yellow convertible. prosecutor said, may I make it clear to the defendant, your honor, that you don't need to own something to worship it. As a matter of fact, as many people without money worship money as people with money who worship money. See, whatever things are sacrificed or cause you to sacrifice your spiritual values, those are idols. You're so determined to get them that you play life by their rules and according to their game, and even if you never obtain them, they dominate your life. And that is the condition of this defendant. The judge looked at me for a response, knowing that there was none coming. The judge lifted the gavel, pounded the bench, and declared again Guilty? Yes, I was guilty. The third witness was called and named You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. He added Mr. Rutledge is guilty of this charge. This charge actually made me kind of angry. I said, please, your honor, you've got to hear me out on this. You've got to listen to me. I'll concede the other two, but I've never been a blasphemer. I I was taught to respect the name of God, and though, though I may have spoken hastily at times, as has everyone, I'm not a blasphemer. Sovereignty leaned forward and said, Mr. Rutledge, have you given God the lordship of your life? And my anger immediately dissipated and became confusion as I waited for his next words. He said, what about those occasions in the church services when you sang, Lord Jesus? Or those times when you prayed, our Father, let the record be very clear Jesus is not your Lord, and God is not your Father, and that is taking the name of the Lord in vain, and that is blasphemy. And I closed my eyes to try not to watch what was going to happen next. I tried to cover my ears, and they just became like amplifiers, making the sound of the gavel, wishing through the air, and hitting the deck, and declaring guilty, even louder. I was guilty. The fourth witness insisted on my guilt at its pronouncement. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I took courage and began to offer defense, though I knew it held no water. I felt this was a little unfair, though. I lived in a culture that didn't really value and honor the Sabbath day. I mean, come on, that's my day. Don't I get one day for myself? Your Honor, I said, I've I've never held a a job on Sunday, and um, I would often attend church. Uh, on Sunday, I, I tried to spend time with the family on Sunday. The prosecutor said, uh, "Wait, wait a second. Did you keep the day holy as prescribed by the law, or was it simply traditional? Wasn't it actually just a convenience or something to do, something to plan on, something that was actually all about you?" And again, I had no answer. And I knew in my mind and in, in my heart, I was guilty. And the judge raised the gavel, hit the bench, and declared guilty. I was ready for the fifth commandment. I took courage and jumped at my first chance honor your father and mother so that you may live. And I cut him off. I didn't even want to hear the rest of this accusation. I said, Hold on just a second. My mother and father are two of the finest people who've ever graced this earth. I'm honored to be their son and proud to call them mom and dad, and I want to live a life like they do. I want to reflect who they were. Wisdom spoke so gently and with a deep sense of pity and sorrow. Sir Rutledge, if you really honored them as you say, why did you reject their prayers and their tears? And if you really want to be like them, why did you reject their Savior when they shared their testimony and the word of God with you? tried to speak, but my throat just choked every word, every syllable, every sound that attempted to come out of my mouth. The judge picked up the gavel again, hit the bench and declared guilty. I began to feel as though someone had put an unbearable weight on my chest and I couldn't get air into my lungs. My head started to spin and I felt dizzy. I was running out of breath. I didn't even know what the next witness was gonna say. And, I heard him pronounce, witness number six, you shall not commit murder. And I rallied again. I sprung to my feet. And I said, at this, uh, I, I'm not a, I, before I could even get a word out of my mouth, the voice of truth again spoke and said, whomever hates his brother is a murderer. Hate. Those angry storms in your mind, those paroxysms of fury where your fists are clenched and if no one would know. Those flashes when you had no control as if someone else had overtaken your body. Those slow smoldering coals where you celebrate the misfortune of someone else because you hate them. I looked at the judge and I waved off the opportunity to present the defense because there was no defense to be made. The gavel hit the bench the judge declared, guilty. The seventh witness was sworn in. You shall not commit adultery. And my self-righteousness jumped to my defense, finally hoping that at least I would be acquitted on one charge. I blurted out, your honor, I've never been unfaithful to my wife, and I've never been involved in any hint of an adulterous or illicit affair. Where are these charges even coming from? Again, the voice of truth spoke, and I hated that voice of truth. He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. And his words fastened my feet to the floor in silence. Look. Lust. Adultery. Guilty. You know, I was aware of the provocative culture we live in, a sex-saturated society, inappropriate thoughts and objectifying comments passed between coworkers as a woman walks by, (laughs) hamburger ads that have nothing to do with food and everything to do with sensual appetite, lingerie ads that run during prime time and during football games. The secrecy and the ease of pornography on our computers and on our our phones, billboards, magazines, everywhere you look, lust, adultery, of course I was guilty. Witness number eight concluded me guilty in a second, you shall not steal (laughs) my defense of giving back a couple bucks when I'd been overchanged or giving my employer an honest day's work for the wage we'd agreed on were quickly put aside when the prosecutor asked, Mr. Rutledge, will a man rob God? I said, where have I robbed God? The prosecutor continued, would you mind giving an accounting of your tithes and offerings to this court? And I was led to understand that day that I owned nothing and everything I had belonged to God and he had entrusted me with it and asked me to steward it, the possessions and the money, and give back a percentage to him. And I've been proven unfaithful with his trust, and godliness found me chargeable with theft. Guilty. The ninth witness, you shall not give false testimony, found me unwilling to even offer defense. <laughs> I knew I lied. Sometimes I lied popularity. Sometimes I lied to avoid punishment. Sometimes I lied for convenience. Sometimes I lied because it was becoming a part of my character. I had no defense. My head was pounding. My body was shaking. Sweat was rolling down my face like teardrops. The judge hit the bench and declared guilty. Yes, I was Guilty. Tenth witness was a precise accuser, you shall not covet. Left me speechless. I was undone, acquiescing with the judge's declaration of guilty. I heard the rustle of the prosecutor and I turned to see him standing again. Your Honor, if it pleases the court, he said, the prosecution rests its case by the amounting of the evidence. By the acknowledgement of the defendant and the declaration of this court, Mr. Rutledge has been demonstrated to have broken more than one point of law, and as stated at the beginning of this trial, is guilty of breaking the whole law. We're therefore demanding the death penalty. The prosecutor turned it back to the judge, and the judge said to me, uh, Mr. Rutledge, do you have anything to add, anything that might uh, rescue you, Any, a- anything we could look on favorably? had nothing the judge said well, i'm about to pronounce judgment and by this time i tell you without any embarrassment i was sobbing uncontrollably my soul was at stake what could i do what would you do i asked in desperation your honor if it's uh, if it's not too late i'd like someone to represent me i'd like someone to take my case the judge said, Mr. <laughs> this is highly irregular. We, we asked you at the beginning of the trial if you'd like someone to try your case, someone to represent you, and, and you turned it down. You told us you were going to represent yourself. You've heard clearly all the evidence, and uh, y- even by your own acknowledgement, you've, you've, you've confessed to guilt. And again, I, it, this would be highly irregular, but in order that all the wheels of justice would be satisfied, uh, I say to the court today, Is there anyone out there who would like to take the case of the accused and evidently guilty, James Michael Rutledge? And I turned and looked into the faces of every individual in the gallery that day, staring into their eyes. As I wept, I begged, oh, please, please, will you help me? Please, please help me. Please, will someone help me? Please. But who would take a hopeless case like this? When it seemed an eternity had passed, I slowly began to turn back to face the judge, receive my fate, and my sentence. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone step forward from the back wall, and he too was weeping. I said, sir, sir, why, why do you weep? He said to me, because, Michael, I never enjoy seeing a sinner die. And I asked him, sir, what, what is your name? Will you, will you tell me your name, please? He replied with the most tender, caring, even soothing voice I had ever heard. My name is Mercy. I pushed myself up from my seat and tried to go to him, but I fell to my knees, and I cried out, Mercy, Mercy, please come help me. Please, please take my side. And Mercy did come to me. He lifted me back to my feet and helped me back to my chair, and he sat next to me, and he cried with me. We cried until I had not another tear left in my body and I could finally speak. I asked him, what am I supposed to do? Mercy, tell me what to do. You've seen the faces of the jurors. You've heard the evidence. Tell me what to do. Mercy said to me, Michael, why don't you call for Jesus? I responded, I hadn't thought of that. Again, the judge impatiently, he wrapped the gavel on the bench and said, I ask one last time, Mr. Rutledge, do you have anything to say in your defense before I pronounce judgment? I got to my feet as best I could, taking every ounce of energy just to stand, sweat coming from every pore my body, exhausted and barely able to hold myself up. I said, Your Honor, I have only one thing to say. I call for Jesus, and I will never forget what happened next. The judge smiled at me, laid his gavel aside. The prosecutor smiled at me and laid aside the writ. And every individual in that room stood to their feet and formed a quarter down which he, the Son of God, the Redeemer of the universe, would come. And the prosecutor boldly proclaimed, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The jurors began to sing, now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. He is alive. And I turned and I looked down the corridor. And it was as if every light in the world had found its focus on the same point and it was on Jesus. And I watched him as he walked toward me. And I got up to go to him but I fell. This time not from weakness, but because of his holy presence. And he reached down to take my arms. And I looked at his hands and I saw the ugly scars of nail prints and they seemed to say, they were for you, Mike. They were for you. brought me to my feet and he lifted my chin so I could look into his eyes and I saw the violent marks of thorns pressed into his brow and they seemed to say they were for you, Mike. It was for you. Then I looked into his eyes, the most beautiful eyes I will ever see, and I saw into his heart that was bursting with grace and eternal love. I said to him, Jesus, please help me. He said, I will. I will if you place your trust in me and your faith in me, if you'll believe in me. And I said from the very depths of my soul, Jesus, I have no other wish, no other hope but you. And he took me to the bench in front of the judge, and he said, Father, James Michael Rutledge has trusted in me, and I died to care for his sin And on the basis of my shed blood, I ask for his justification. Again, the judge picked up his gavel and wrapped the bench and declared, justified, forgiven, made as though he had never sinned. And in that very moment, the weight and guilt and shame of my sin was taken from me, and I passed from eternal death in hell to eternal life in heaven. I want to be very clear on something. The word picture that I just attempted to paint for you today has no relationship to the great white throne judgment that we read about at the beginning that will happen at the end of the world. When you die, your eternity and your fate is sealed. There will be no mercy in the great white throne judgment, there will be no Jesus and there will be no redemption. Today is your chance. Not after death. Because the word picture that I just painted is the scene that just took place in each and every one of your hearts here in this auditorium this morning. And you heard the judge of the universe either declare you guilty or you heard the Savior of your soul declare you innocent, forgiven, and redeemed based on one simple thing. None of our acts, nothing we've done, only the blood of Jesus Christ and his redemption for us, his resurrection and victory over sin. Today is your day Today is your chance. After death, you have that chance no longer. Would you guys close your eyes and pray with me? Lord Jesus, you know us. There's some of us here in this room right now that have not accepted your grace and your love. They've rejected you. And they need you as their only hope. And I ask that you would speak to their hearts and lead them and guide them to you. May they receive you. If you're sitting here today and i just described you you say, I need Jesus in my life. I'm trying to live a life that earns holiness that I never can earn because my, 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 my behaviors are wretched. I need Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Say, pray for me. Pray for me. Just raise your hand in this moment. I need Jesus in my life. Yeah, and here's what I want to do. For any of you Who've just said this? I want actually, if you raise your hand, here's what I want you to. I want you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I accept you into my life. You are my hope. You are my redeemer. You are my savior. You are my justification. You are my forgiveness. I want to make you Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Change me. If you just prayed that prayer. We're going to head into a time of worship. I want you to come forward. We have prayer team people. We would love a chance to pray with you right now. Don't wait another second. And some of us here this morning, though, we've made a commitment to follow Jesus. We've invited him into our lives. The reflection of who we are looks nothing like Jesus. I'm just going to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Are you identifying in your life behaviors and actions that don't resemble the character of who Jesus called you to be? If so, his forgiveness is readily available to you in this very second and all you have to do is cry out for Jesus and say, forgive me, change me, help me. And you too can receive, just come down and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. We are not love us dearly. We ask this in your name.